0: Yeah, well, good morning. I see my wife has got our little one outside, so but I do have a real life in-person wife, <laughs> but uh, together with the three children they're probably outside. So thanks, Roger. Thank you for that. We had a nice little briar last night, and first half of the rugby on, on a laptop because of load shedding, and um, but yeah, isn't it wonderful? I think when you said never could we have imagined that we would serve God. And, um, and even have the privilege to speak and have other people listen to us. <laughs> that is, that is, that is re- that's really incredible. And um, I remember I keep telling people the story, even this week I told someone the story of how we need people in our lives that can sometimes like, say it as it is. And I remember early days, just as we, as I came to faith, um, we, we, we weren't in a church, God kind of got a hold of us outside of a local church setup, and we started to meet together. And um, I got involved in a relationship that wasn't healthy. And I kind of knew it, but um, I remember one, one night, just before the meeting started, he called me into, the meeting was at your house, he called me into his room. And I remember I just cracked under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And now I set some stuff. And I th- think, if I think back now, if it wasn't for a friend that was willing to say, dude, what are you doing? I mean, I could have shipwrecked my faith. And uh, so, yeah, it's a great privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, we send greetings from a church in Paul. And uh, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to show some pictures this morning because I walk in here and go, oh, my word, what have you guys done to get a venue like this? We, I think our venue is quite cool as well. We meet in a, um, on a wine farm, uh, <laughs> and uh, we meet under a tent. Uh, attached to this old heritage building, anyways, but we're moving out there into a school hall. But not, I mean, this is this is not school hall. This is theatre, <laughs> which is quite amazing. But uh, we bring greetings from Kreislich Kerk in Paul. So we planted uh, six years ago, yesterday to the day actually that we arrived in Paul, and it was. For, I remember back then it was also quite uh, because we were in Joburg before that. It was. I was excited because we were coming back to some friends. So I grew up, I got saved, like I said, and then were discipled the early early days in Common Ground. And um, so I've got a deep love for what God has done through the Common Ground story. And obviously, yeah, that started at Ronna Bosch, I think after I let stuff explode it, so God maybe just wanted to get me out of there. Um, yeah, so it's wonderful to be with you. Just before we get going, I want to share a prophetic sense I had this morning. Um, let me get the scripture. Um, in the week, I read this psalm and um, meditated on it a bit, but in, in worship, as we were singing together, I just felt there's a there's a little thing for, for this church. And um, let me read it to you. It says, um, no, I won't read the whole thing. Oh, no, I can't find it, but I'll tell you. It says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than be in the tent of the wicked in Psalm 84. And uh, I just had the sense that God is calling this church to be like a doorkeeper. And uh, I quickly went to look up, like, well, obviously there's some context there. So the psalmist says, I'd rather be that. And it seemed to be quite a humble, the doorkeepers were quite a humble function within the Levitical priests for, for the temple. But it all hinges on their faithfulness to open and shut the gates morning and evening. For the people to come in, offer their sacrifices to God and welcome people in. This house of prayer for all nations, if you take the imagery. And I, I believe God is calling this church to be a doorkeeper. To come in. The doors are open, the lights are on. Uh, come into God's house. And for people to take up this ministry of bringing people home. So, right. So if you have your Bibles here, let's go to the book of Revelation. We're going to look at some verses there in the first, first chapter. We're going to read from verse 9 to verse 20. Uh, Nikki almost choked on a piece of broccoli last night when I said uh, I'm going to preach from Revelation. But I really am. And right about now, there's a group of people that's getting their end time charts ready. And there's also some people going, oh my word, the craziest has come. And I'm hoping that none of that will be true, but my, my, my hope is that really we'll hear, powerfully hear the voice of God For our situation right now, living in 2022 in South Africa, in the Western Cape, and for you guys around here, uh, that God will bring clarity and insight and light to your situations and that we can walk from this. So just just because we're preaching from the book of Revelation, I I do want to say a couple of things just in, in, in the form of introduction. The word revelation comes from the Greek apocalypse, so that's the, the the book is actually the apocalypse. So now, when we think apocalypse, we think, well, I've got a great four boy, and it's usually some form of zombies taking over. But the, the apocalypse is really just unveiling, and I love the fact that we're on a stage here. the The literal meaning would have been uh, a scene would have set up behind the stage, the curtains would be closed, and all of a sudden the sh- curtains will open. That is an apocalypse. It the 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 lights would be switched on in a sense so so the book of revelation is an unveiling it's a showing or probably the best way to describe it i don't know if you, with young kids if you've ever had this dad there is a monster in my room or there is this and that happening and so usually what we do is yes there is be quiet no don't do that that's it what what you do after you so, it usually goes like this, there really is not, please believe me, that's the, that's the window, that's the, you know, that's the light coming through from, there's nothing there. But then usually if that argument doesn't work, what do we do? We get up and we switch on the light. See, I told you, Can okay, we go to bed now. So, the book of Revelation is literally like you're turning on the light for you to see, ah, okay, this is my situation right here in the dark, I'm enc- encountering things, and I'm seeing things happening, and I'm and I'm and I'm fearful, Revelation is supposed to let fear leave by switching on the light. And it helps us see what's happening behind the scenes to give us courage and hope for our situation where we live in. So j- just a couple of interpretative notes, just quickly. I've been preaching in Afrikaans for the last six years, so <laughs> I'm sure yeah, by 10 minutes in, it'll be oiled. When we talk end times... We are talking the, 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 the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. So let's just from the word go, that's how I'm going to interpret end times. We are living in the t- end times. We have been living in the end times. And we'll be living in the end times until the time has ended. It's the last period of time that's set up by the biblical writers. There's often these stages in God's salvation of how he works. And when Jesus came, he introduced the end times. This is the last stage of history before he wraps it up. It's a a time of conflict because he's brought the kingdom of God in a radical new way, but it overlaps with the current age. And what's going to stop is the current age, and what's going to continue is the the kingdom of God. And the book of Revelation is meant to, to unveil some of the principles and some of the activity in the end times. That will always happen. So we need to be careful of any interpretation from the book of Revelation. Again, that's not my really what I want to talk about this morning, but let's just say it. As a, some form of chronological fortune-telling book that helps, helps us draw things from the... It's a, it's actually meant to, to show you what's always true. And of course, there's some elements of Christ coming and some little things that'll happen, which is not the focus. But it's meant to give us an understanding of what will continually happen through the ages. So William Hendrickson describes it like this. It says... They refer, well, what he means is that the, the book is written in these scenes, clear, almost seven scenes. Seven times the curtain opened and these characters plays out a scene, curtain closes. And he says these scenes are supposed to, well, let me actually read it. They refer to things that happens again and again and again so that the book of Revelation is always up to date. Or Richard Bew says it like this, apostolic writings, uh, apocalyptic writings, takes you behind the scenes and reveals the unseen principles that affect history and the future. So, are we calm now? We're going to look at some verses from the book of Revelation. Let's switch on the lights together. So, so let's read from, what's happening? well done. I don't think I've ever preached with the lights on my face. So let's read from verse 9. I'm going to read from the ESV, Revelation chapter 1. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and in the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. To Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to, the, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. I think, let's, let's pray before we continue. So Father, we, we come to your word. Thank you that this word right here was written by the instruction of the Lord Jesus himself. And it was meant right now to come actively move amongst us and bring your life. Father, if there's any interpretation that will be brought across that is not according to your heart, please protect your people from it. But that which is from you, Lord, may bear fruit in the name of Jesus. So again, let's just orientate ourselves. John writes this book. An actual human being wrote this book. And um, if you are familiar with the story of the Bible, it's the same John that walked with Jesus. Jesus had a disciple called John. He, He He referred to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. It seems like there was a great relationship between this John and the Lord Jesus Himself when He was on Earth. So this was some time later, and he says he's on an island. So that's not like an island like that he went like bought tickets to go to to go and relax. He was sent there. It's like a prison island. It was remember it was written in the time of Roman rule. So uh, the world was well, the known world, especially out of the biblical authors, were all usually written in the New Testament out of in an, an incredibly strong, dominant Roman rule. Caesar was king. And all the provinces controlled by Caesar was king. That was the dominating culture, rule, the rule power of the day. So he was on Patmos, a prison island, because of Roman rule. Because of probably... Um, I don't know the, the history exactly, but if some city was confronted, because he says, on the account of the word of God. So either you change the word of God or you go to the island, and no one really wants to go to that island. So that's why he's there. But then we also see, so it's in, in this time, and, and as, as the book continues, you'll see the church was faced in this dominant Roman culture, faced with various philosophies and and, and, and even Caesar worship started to develop. I don't know if you knew that. So it wasn't just the state power. That's the state power became a religion. So towns or cities where Roman rule would take place, Caesar worship was actually instilled. You had to have some form of allegiance to Caesar in the form of worship, temple worship, some allegiance. Uh, uh, the f- churches were faced with um, competing ideologies. Al- al- ar- and we see John writes this letter. He gets instruction to write this letter. But he writes this letter to actual Churches. Isn't that phenomenal? Seven churches. Church in Paul, church in, and and again, all of them in Roman provinces. So this this book was given, was written for these people. For them to be encouraged in the situations they were in. For them to, ah, okay, this is what's happening. I don't have to be afraid. And draw strength from what was written in this book to be faithful to the Lord Jesus. And um, I think, I think of, again, just maybe in a, in a bigger note when it comes to bo- the book of Revelation, if we can settle that, then it, it really clears out some wacky interpretation. Because this book had to make sense to them. What's the point of ri- writing a book to them that was, in some other interpreters, that it can only be interpreted with some weird analogies of wars and all sorts of things? It doesn't make sense. It was written to seven actual churches that existed in those times, and I know some interpreters reckon it's seven church ages. There's just nothing in the book that would make us believe that. So the first thing I want to draw your attention to is John speaks, and he says he hears a voice behind him like a trumpet. So the first thing, he doesn't see anything, he hears something. And I love the fact that he says like a trumpet, because trumpets, well, I think today still not really weren't used for musical beauty. Trumpets in those days were, were used for announcement. The, the, the sound of the trumpet was, was, was useful because it was able to pierce through all sorts of other clutter. And I love the, uh, the, uh, this analogy because and if you look back in the Old Testament as well, the trumpets were for announcements, but it was also for pay attention. Something is about to happen. Let's move on from here. I think of the Israelites in the desert. It was The trumpet sounds were, let's break camp. So ultimately what I see here is that the reason this voice is described like a trumpet is is wanting to get our attention. In the midst of what's happening, and I can, can I say it today, I mean, we know it. The, the competing voices and, uh, and ideologies and the murmur and noise of life Jesus' voice is going, I want to get your attention. So this voice comes to John on this island like a trumpet, and I'm trusting will come to us today like a trumpet. And like I said, ultimately, what does this voice want to draw our attention to? And I think this is where we want to start. This voice is drawing our attention to the Lord Jesus doesn't matter where you are, what age you lived in, what city you live in, what persecution you might face, what lukewarmness a church might face. doesn't matter where you are. Ultimately, the starting point for your life, whether you're not yet a Christian or not a Christian or you are a Christian, any move forward has to come with a revelation of Jesus. It comes with a better knowing, better understanding of who He is. And what we're going to see now is a highly symbolic vision John sees and we're going to draw from that is what is the revealing of Jesus that we are meant to encounter here. So let's let's read further, verse twelve. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw oh, seven, seven, 11. <laughs> And on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lamp stands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like, flame, like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that, that you have seen, those that, are, those that are and those that are to take place after this. And for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. (laughs) So majestic was this unveiling, this vision. John literally fell as though dead. The The same person who walked with Jesus saw a vision of him and it almost couldn't bear it. And I suppose Jesus had to go, don't be afraid, because he was probably a little bit afraid. So I want to ask, what, what, what is it that John, what is the revelation of Jesus that will be helpful for us today, and that John saw out of this picture, that's going to move us forward in the things of God? And the first one, I believe, what is it saying? What is this trumpet call trying to draw attention to Jesus? And the first thing is this, Jesus is the sovereign, eternal King. And I want to show you from this scripture how I get to that statement. The thing I believe that we, that we need to settle in our lives is that Jesus is the eternal sovereign king. So the first place we see it is in that, in that verse where he says, fear not, I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. And again, what I love about the book of Revelation, I think that's why the authors maybe put it right at the end of the biblical canon, is, is it draws from all over the Bible. It's got symbolism and pictures from all over the New Te- Old Testament especially. And these words, I'm the, I'm the first and the last, it would have been words that the prophet Isaiah would have used or, or God would have said to Isaiah of himself. It's incredible. This vision, even the words that he has, ties into Old Testament prophecies of God revealing himself as the I am the forever one. I'm the first and the last. There's not, no one before me, no one after me. I'm it I'm, I'm, I'm all. And so Jesus, in his words, reveals to us that he, he really is the eternal sovereign king. Uh, one author says it like this, Christ is the force beyond history, causing it to fulfill his purposes. I'll tell you now why it would have been very encouraging for them to hear. And I'm hopefully we can see why it would be encouraging for us to hear. Then the second place where we see it is in chapter uh, in verse thirteen. It says, "In the midst of the lampstands, then he describes one like the Son of Man, clothed with with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow." Again, words that reaches back to another Old Testament prophet, to the book of Daniel, which was written in a similar style, uh, apocalyptic uh, scripture. Let me read to you from Daniel, and you'll see how, how some of these words Jesus used of himself is, is tapped into Daniel. Uh, in Daniel uh, 7 verse 9, it says, I looked, so this is Daniel now, I looked, and thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and his hair of his head like pure wool. Again, s- similar the description of his hair that shows purity and wisdom and, and eternal nature. that He's lived forever, the Ancient of Days. And a couple of verses on in verse 13, it says, "I saw in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom one, his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So, there's this mashup between the Ancient of Days and the Lord Jesus as the Son of Man. And you have this picture, Jesus said, and, and John, John, John sees the Son of Man with hair as white as snow. Now, the Daniel vision was in the heart of Babylonian rule, the superpower of the day. And it's incredible how the Bible always pictured these dominating world cultural state cultures. And now the people of God always find themselves in the middle of that. You think of Egypt, right? In the beginning of the story of the Bible. God's people enslaved to Egypt. And then you have the Persians. Then you have Babylonia. Well, I think it's maybe the other way around. And in this time, John would have heard it, the Romans. They dominate us. They, they, it's, it's like if they weren't here, the church would go forward it seems like these world powers are affecting the mission of the church and here john on an island exiled by the authorities of the day the lights get switched on he says okay now jesus is king and what i like about the dominion that he's received it will not fail see the we stand now we look back at the roman emperor it's 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 not anymore so I hope it brings some courage that in, in the life of, of the local church, there's forces at work, and we might feel, if it just wasn't for this power against us, if it just wasn't for load shedding, oh, that's a stupid example, but, or for the incredibly aggressive liberal movement that is showing its teeth and washing up on our shores, if it just wasn't for that, switch on the lights, Jesus is King. He's, he's, he, he's not rattled by these almost... And for, for them to even think that the Roman emperor and the Roman army could fall was unthinkable. And maybe today there's some things against your faith and, and the life of a local church that we think, God, we're so, we're so helpless against this. But the first thing John had to see, and I believe we need to see, is he's king. And he rules over all. But then I want to ask, what is he doing? What is this king doing? Because I would imagine, John would say, why is the vision I'm not seeing with your foot on Caesar's head? That would have been more encouraging maybe. But, but what does he see? He sees this kingly figure lighting candles. What? And so the first thing, how, how uh, any, any person with some Old Testament knowledge would have immediately saw this vision and thought of the temple. These seven lampstands. In, in the temple furniture, p- uh, there was this lamp, menorah. So Jesus was seen as a priest with this long robe. It's a priestly image. Tending these lamps. You go, the king tending lamps lamps so the second thing I believe we, we need to see for us to move on to our future is that Jesus is a priest and his main task connected to those to that picture was to keep the light burning that, that was the job of the Levitical priests some of, them had, some of them were the doorkeepers some of them were day and night the lights are always on you make sure of it you provide it with oil And obviously when it starts to, when the wick is too long or whatever, and it starts to smoke, you you trim the wick. So these, John sees this picture of this eternal king, but his special attention is not to, if you think of a king or, or someone in charge, usually they'll have a crew around them to fulfill his will. His ministers or the army leaders or, or whatever, he'll get his council advisors in to, from there, administer his will. Because a king has a will. A king is not just sitting on a throne and eating pomegranates. It's a, there's a job to do. He exercises his rule. But isn't it incredible that the, the vision he sees, this great king, his attention is to these lights. That's where his attention is going. So he exercises his rule by making the light shine. His special attention is to the church. I don't know if if you've ever thought of that. The eternal king of the universe. His first go-to of what he wants to establish and do in the world, he tends to the church. Michael Eaton says his life: he is the king sharing the father's throne. He is also the priest working in the father's temple, the church. It makes me think of one of those lines that Jesus said, a, a, quite a critical stage in his ministry. He arrived in Philipp, Philippi's area, and again, it was, it was quite significant that he asked the question there. There was also some Caesar worship. It was apparently like a, 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 a town where the, the, uh, almost the options of worship would have been all around. The blingy places on the high places, the temple of this, temple of that, and he asked, oh, who do the people say I am? And I give these answers answers, some Elijah, some this, some this. And he said, okay, but who do you say I am? And Peter, the one that's says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus, yeah, cool. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Then he goes further. He says, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. So what is the great king of the universe doing? He's building his church. That's his way of bringing his rule and reign into a dark world. And also, in the light of this, I believe we, are, we start to see what is the significance of us. If the lights go on, what are we about? Well, you are strategically placed by the sovereign God in dark places. And He's tending to you because He wants light. He wants a doorkeeper in this area. He wants, he wants a people to always keep the lights on. And he's doing it by his supply of the Holy Spirit. And he's working with us. But I want to shift a little bit. And I want to. The thing that amazes me. And I don't know if you've ever looked at it like that. It's almost like with these grand visions of, of God. And the book of Revelation. We can almost see the worldwide picture. And we get wrapped up in the bigness of it. But what floors me is that this vision was connected with Jesus working with local church. I don't know, let that sink in a bit. It's good to uh, if we think almost like in a theory, like a big picture way, okay, God, Jesus is working with this church. But have you ever thought of Jesus works with this church? This Jesus that John just saw works with a local church. He's among the lampstands. He cares for them. Sure, he's got a big job. He's got lots of churches or the church worldwide. But you can't take away from the fact that there was, and what follows is seven letters to seven churches with specific knowledge of their culture. I know, for one, I know you live near the throne of Satan. It's like, oh gosh, I didn't know that. Let's move. (laughs) He knows the context each local church is in. He knows the challenges the churches face. He knows what he wants from them. He's got a word to encourage them or to rebuke them. And I wonder if ever we've let that sink in. Can it be that the risen Lord Jesus Christ looks at this church that meets in this incredible place? I've repented about the jealousy, don't never mind. And then these eyes are burning for, for the for these yeah, these people. And I want to, to talk about that a little bit, because it's it's one thing to think of it in big picture, but it becomes very real. Now, I imagine this was a circular letter. Imagine that letter came around and they started reading, and like, Yeah, i thought start And then it came to your church, and then the church at Ephesus, and you're like, oh, Yes, yes, okay, Lord. Your ears would imagine that. And I'm sure, and, and of course, we learn from all these churches, and I'm not going into a letter, but I want, I want to get your attention that God is working with you. This is not some generic rollout of a franchise. This is strategically placed by God for this season here and somehow you're involved. And that should blow your mind because it does mine. So let's look. I want to change metaphors a little bit. <laughs> and what I love about it is this, when the light is on, it's like, wow, this incredible golden lamp stand. But when the light's off, it, it's not so impressive. Nowhere near as impressive as the temple of, to Diana It's just a group of people that's a little bit fearful, a little bit backslidden here and there. But still, when the light's on, with these vision, it's golden lampstands. So I want to talk a little bit about how do you see yourself connected to your local church, to this church? Are you playing into this vision God has when the lights are on? So when the lights are on, it's meant to give you courage and a spiritual vision when the lights are off. So I want to switch analogies a little bit, and I make some points before we close. Is so we see the church, he says that is, is, is these lampstands. But I want to use another analogy for church as a house. Or if you follow the story through the Bible, people were at home with God in the in the in the in the garden. That was their home. That was the family. That was the they were exiled because of sin, and God decided, no, no, no I want my home back with people, and he. Brought them out of Egypt, built a tabernacle where his presence would be with his people, his house, then a temple, then a New Testament fulfillment. is The church is his house, his family, the place, the place somewhere where God is specially involved and the lights are on amongst us. His presence is with us. So let's, let's talk about analogy, the house, and I want to make three points, maybe four, about how, do, how, how are we to go about this revelation that Jesus works with this church? Well, the first one is, own it. Own your church. Own your house. Again, there was no point for them to laugh at all the other letters to the other church. At some stage, they go, okay, I am in the church of Ephesus. This is the word to us now. See, I think what's happened in today with with the amount of information around and teachings around across the world, let me quickly tell you how you need to deflate your leaders. (laughs) Okay, don't do it. Uh, let me tell you how. Uh, bro, rog, bro, I've heard this incredible teaching. Let me just send it to you. And then you get this YouTube thing of an hour and a half. It's like, bro, I'm, I'm sure it's good, but I, I can't. What, what are you trying to say? I'm, must I change something? Must we bring something in? <laughs> and I think what's happened with the amount of teaching across the world, it's almost like Christianity has become this um, um, subject matter. Where, what I see here, there's another thing. It says, I've got the angel, the, 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 the stars in my hand. Now, again, there's some interpretive wrestling here. Some people say there's actual churches, uh, actual angels, spiritual beings assigned to each church, maybe, I don't know. Other, other people say, no, that, those are the messengers, because it's the word angelos, messenger. Those are the leadership of a church. responsible. But the point is, Jesus is responsible that what is in his heart will be, he superintends that the, the message gets to that church. And there's leaders involved. Uh, there's a scripture in in, in Corinthians that I've I've thought of this morning that Paul says to a church, he says, you've got many instructors in Christ, but few fathers. So I'm not advocating a father movement and don't call your leaders father. What I'm saying, a father is there. A father knows the best and the worst. A father knows what is needed for now. Instructors, buy my book. He's not going to come to your funeral. Own your house. Own the season you're in. Because God is speaking. He's using leaders. And we miss, leaders miss it sometimes. We're not, leaders aren't the voice of God. But there's an element of caring and, 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 and growing this, the, the, this church up. How's this? Can I, Elvis, please stand? I didn't ask you to do that. But can I ask you to stand? Who's, who's here? Okay. How's this? Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Own your house. There's families and men picked to care, and they've stepped under a responsibility before God. (laughs) The one whose sharp edge comes out of his mouth and stars in his hand. To care for and take this church into a future. Own your house. Thanks, guys. Secondly, grow in your house. Grow in your house. I love it. Family with new babies. With with new babies. Sorry, that's not a prophetic. Maybe there's more. Where are you guys? But, so I've got three children and more. If I do for my oldest what I currently do for my youngest, there's a problem. Isn't it? because I want the oldest to have graduated a little bit and start doing certain things for himself, isn't it? And so I think, again, God hasn't forgotten about maturity. We are in a house, why? To mature, to grow. And I think, I think we are living in an age when maturity, immaturity is rampant in the world. People cannot take on this conversation anymore. I am... Um A a while ago, a person came to preach at our church, and he used five quotes from a guy called John Tyson, who's an American author. And he went on this journey of um, uh, fathering his sons to maturity. And he he gave these five shifts that needs to happen in in a child to get to maturity. And He says this, first, you've got to realize life is hard. If we constantly build our eyes around ease, we'll never grow up. Second one, you're not the most important. Trial that to a two-year-old. So that's a shift that needs to happen from yourself to others. Life is not about you. It's a shift from where I'm the center of the universe to I'm getting being part of something incredible. You're not in control. And you're going to die. So we shift from temporal to eternal. And we start maturing in the house of God. Learning how to grow up. and and then I'll leave you with this quote. Maturity is the unsupervised ability to contribute more than you consume. I also did that when I first heard it. The unsupervised ability to contribute more than you consume. Own your house, grow in your house, build your house. We live in an age in the Western Cape, in a form of semi isn't it? Everyone from Gauteng coming here. Okay? Why? Because people are searching, and I'm not saying it's wrong. I also don't want to live where, like, my family's in danger. And I'm not hammering that, but what I'm saying, deep in the heart of man is we want a home. We want provision. We want safety. Isn't it? Can I say, I honestly think that's something deep down in our hearts because, of, because we were exiled from our first home, Eden. And now we're looking for a home. People coming here are looking for a home. They're looking for safety. But can I say, you can do everything in the world and still not have a home. Because what made Eden a home was not the fruit. And the, n- the no danger, it was the presence of God. God's presence is a home. So can I ask, that is, connects with your vision, and I know the heart of this church and this leadership is mission. Build your house. Bu- build the house of God. The, let the house of God be your house. Build it. Get involved. Support this ministries. Why? Because we want to see people come home. There's lots of people moving here. Are we going to just give them a vision of just pandering into to, to self-consumerism? or Are we going to help them see the real home is where the presence of God is? And then last year, maybe the band can come up as we close. Let me just say this on the house of God. There's, in, in the book of Haggai, there's this, in the story of the church, there was, or, or the Old Testament people, there was this time where they had instructions to build the temple, but they got discouraged and started to look at, at their own affairs. And at one stage, the prophet said this to them, Haggai 1, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while the house, my house, lies in ruins? I think if we see the risen Lord Jesus, our efforts will go into building his house. Because that really is a house. Because his presence is there. I live in Paul, and and there's some estates and areas there with the the affluence that, that you can't believe. It doesn't take long to realize people are not home when you drive in impoverished areas. The brokenness of the world is evident. See, if you've got some means, there's a way to patch that all up. And it looks like Eden, but it's not. Because the presence of God is not there. In the life of this local church, you have a great opportunity to partner and to build a house for God, for his presence, and invite people in it. Our lives exist. We're not home yet. It's a golden lampstand. It's not heaven yet. It's not heaven on earth yet. It's lampstand in a golden golden lampstand in a dark world. There's going to be a time where there's no more lampstands needed because the, the glory of God will fill everything. But right now, there's, there's lampstands needed. And this church is one of them. And He's busy with you. And He wants you to own it. <laughs> Invest. Be on the track with this season. Get involved with this story. Sure, there's lots of teaching teachings around. No, it's cool. But this church has got a mission, and God has picked leadership. With great responsibility to take her forward into what she's got, grow in this house, build this house, and then, lastly, come home. Might be some of you here this morning that's not home. Maybe someone's invited you, and and you hear and you hear about this crazy sword out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus. That's picture language. It says there, don't be afraid. I'm the one who died, and I'm alive. The reason he had to die is because you're not home. You were cut off from the presence of God because of your sin. The thing is of God's house, it's pure, it's beautiful. And he made a way for me and you that's not dressed appropriately to come back. Isn't it wonderful? Won't, it's, maybe for a while let's close our eyes, Let's, let's, let's do business with God. I know there's some people here that if you've never put your faith in Christ, you can do it right now. You tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe that you want to bring me home. Please forgive my sin. Say that in your own heart to God right now. Come on. Stop rebelling. Stop trying to make home outside of his presence. You'll never be able to do that. And then there's some of us that needs to invest in what God is doing with this local church. Find your place in the story of God by being connected to a local church where you can grow, where you can mature, where you can add value, where, where you can be part of a story bigger than yourself. And if you need to make some adjustments of attitudes in your heart, won't you do that? So why don't we stand and respond to God in song.